And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Back to the Bins proudly presents... It's Superman! Hello and welcome to It's Superman! Happy Independence Day, by the way. See, I told you it wouldn't be long until the very next episode... Now I'm just hoping that uh, it won't be six months to the one after this. But yes, uh, a lot of the reason I was uh, rushing to get the shows back out again is that I specifically wanted to cover the issue that I'll be covering today for American Independence Day on July 4th. So that's why this one's coming at you so fast. I'm right on the heels of the previous recording, so of course there is no feedback uh, for this particular episode because there has been literally no time uh, between the two episodes. There's a big old peek behind the curtain for you. So I'm going to go ahead and get right into this. Before I do, however, I've got one quick note. It occurred to me as soon as I wrapped up the recording for uh, the last episode that uh, I mentioned the credits on the cover of the issue that I covered last time, which was Action Comics uh, 366, was talking and gushing about Neil Adams, and I don't think I read off any other credits for that issue. Part of the problem is that, you know, comics back in those days a lot of times didn't have credits in the issue, and that particular story did not. So uh, when I don't see it, I don't think about it a lot of times. Um, however, the writer on that story was Leo Dorfman. I think I did mention that. Um, the penciler was, of course, Ross Andrew, one of the greats, and inker was Mike Esposito. Those are the only credits I have on that issue, but I wanted to give credit where credit is due because, again, really, really, really love that issue, and uh, I realized afterwards that I'm pretty sure I forgot to read that off. Also, I had uh, admitted that I'd failed to look up ahead of time what the release month was on that. I only knew the uh, the cover date that was on it. It was actually released in June of 1968. So I was, let's see, I was uh, about two months old when that issue came out. So um, I guess that's about it. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get straight into the uh, the issue for this time around because I dig this one. This is a big, big childhood favorite of mine. We're going to be looking at Action Comics 463, almost, almost 100 issues later past the uh, issue that I covered last episode. Now, the cover date on this one is September 1976, but this one was actually released June 28th. 1976 so that it was just in time not only for independence day american independence day july 4th but also for those of you old enough to recall july 4th 1976 was a big deal at the time why well 
Our Declaration of Independence was signed July 4th, 1776, so July 4th, 1976 was 200 years later, the 200th uh, birthday of the United States of America, a little event that we like to call the Bicentennial. It was a huge deal. I mean, I was only eight, but I remember it. I remember just this outpouring of of patriotism the red white and blue was everywhere and it it was awesome it was really really uh, a big deal and um despite everything going on in the world these days and how much things have changed and how much i'm sure they'll continue to change in the future you know if i had my druthers i'd love to live to be uh 108 and see the tricentennial roll around probably won't happen but yeah, you know, I can dream, can I? Now, can you imagine a 108-year-old uh, Scott Gardner still pounding out these podcasts? <laughs> you think I'm all get off my lawn right now? Can you just imagine? Uh, oh, man. Anyway, well, you know, clean living and all that. We'll see. Okay, so anyway, jumping right into this one. Credits on this one. I want to talk for a moment about something that that really just hit me today. I was looking up the credits on this particular issue. The cover on this is by Bob Oskner. And before I get into exactly what the cover is, it just occurs to me that, wow, how blind I've been all these years that a lot of these... I, I looked this guy up. And it really strikes me that all these years, so many of my very favorite comic book covers, definitely some of my absolute favorite Superman comic book covers, aren't really attributed or attributable to the to the artists that I thought that they were. Bob Oskner being a, a big example. This is one of my favorite covers. This whole era has some of my favorite covers. There's another one from right around this same time, a, a very famous cover of Superman. He's sitting in a, in a crouched, almost like a hunchback position, and he's just super speed shoveling hamburgers into his mouth as fast as he can. There's this massive mound of hamburgers as this line of waitresses are just bringing more and more and more food out of pretty much what's supposed to be a McDonald's, I think. It's not quite a McDonald's, but it's essentially a McDonald's. And they're bringing him out and they're pouring the food, you know, the hamburgers onto this massive pile and Superman's just shoveling as fast as he can. I love that cover. Absolutely love that cover. And had long thought it was, oh, I don't know, if somebody asked me, I'd have probably said, oh, it's probably Neil Adams or... Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez or some combination of uh, Kurt Swan and or Murphy Anderson or something to that effect. This name, Bob Oskner, just never never comes to my brain for whatever reason. And looking the guy up, it's criminal. I mean, (laughs) he did so many of these covers he either outright did so many of them or he had a hand in them. he inked a lot of them over guys like the ones i just mentioned and uh just absolutely amazing so of course that got me to thinking gee i hope this guy's still around sadly he's not he uh according to his wookie yeah wookie 
Wikipedia. There is a Wikipedia, by the way. That's why I was confused on that. I'm just coming off of uh, Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Wikipedia article, uh, he passed away in 2007, which, God, that's such a shame, because now, being a little more enlightened about this, man, I would have liked to have met the guy and and shook his hand and just thanked him for so many of these uh, iconic covers that uh, I absolutely cherish from my childhood. Such a shame, and uh, I'm going to uh, continue to, to delve into the history of, uh, of Bob, Bob Oskner and uh, learn more about him and see what, what I already have and try to track down what I don't because I really dig this guy's art. And again, you know, his style is, now that I'm older and now that I'm really paying attention, I can see that it's very distinct, but it's also... Um, so much radon model with uh, the guys that I had long attributed to. It's very, very, very Garcia Lopez, but also with his own distinct uh, spin on it. But, man, I really, really like this. Anyway, I'm going to stop gushing about that specific thing and talk about the uh, the specific cover on this issue. This is Action Comics 463. Great, great cover on this one. It is red, white, and blue. Now, this is back when... Um, action was bannered with a it's basically a third of the top of the page has a a a banner that just says superman's action comics and it is a combination of the background is red and then um the word superman is uh uh white with blue highlights and then action comics is blue with white highlights so it's a combination of the red white and blue definitely a very patriotic cover on this there's a smaller banner up at the top that says Action Comics. It's got a Superman flying with his fist uh, held out that I'm pretty sure is a, again, either a Kurt Swan or and or Murphy Anderson, some sort of uh, combination or not of the two of them. Um, and it says, a novel-length bicentennial blockbuster, Die Now, Live Later, which is the title of this one. But what I really want to talk about is the picture on this one this really is one of my favorite 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 covers it is phenomenal it's got this dude and it doesn't name him here but i'm going to go ahead and spoil it what his name is his name is carbrack and on this cover he is huge he's a great big muscle bound dude his outfit is very hard to describe you really just need to go look this guy up his name is carbrack k-a-r B, and then B-R-A-K. So it's a palindrome name, which, you know, if you spell it backwards, it spells uh, not lob. So he's a very both awesome and goofy design character at the same time. His, his costume's really cool and everything. It, it's the it's from the neck up is where he really looks kind of goofy. He looks like this combination of Marvel Comics's Zeus, you know, the Olympian god, um, Rip Taylor, and although he doesn't really look like it on this cover, inside um, the issues with him, um, he's drawn, he looks a lot, his eyes, he's got bug eyes, so it's a combination of, of those guys and uh, Gowron, the, the Klingon uh, Chancellor, because he's got the, those big bug eyes that that actor has. That character, Carbrack, is belting the bejeebers out of Superman. And he's hitting him so hard that he is literally knocking him from 1976 
1776, knocking him 200 years into the past. That's how hard he has belted Superman. And what's cool is the cover copy even says it says, From 1976 to 1776, Superman gets hit, but it's Clark Kent who lands in the past. So half of the cover is Carbrack just roundhousing Superman. And Superman's got this pained look on his face. His feet are all splayed out. His, one of his, his left arm is out, and then his right arm is kind of held over his head. And that same pose is how he's landing in the past, except, as the cover says, it's Clark landing in the past, and Clark is dressed in the dress of the day. So he's got a colonial-style hat, he's got the the jacket with the the frilly sleeves and the short pants, and uh, in the background is some sort of uh, a church or courthouse or something, uh, colonial era and um, these women and children standing around and one of the boys is pointing at, at Clark coming flying through time and there's horses and what's funny is the woman behind the uh, the little boy I, I presume his mother her outfit reminds me simultaneously of a Christmas tree and also kind of reminds me of, uh, of Scarlett O'Hara's uh, famous green dress actually like more of the one that uh, Carol Burnett made fun of on her show but it's really, I mean, it's such a dynamic cover. But this idea fired my imagination as a kid. I think in due in large part to my Grandpa Gardner, because my Grandpa Gardner, God rest his soul, he had such great little witticisms that he would say all the time when he'd get mad at us kids. And he would say stuff like, I'll knock you into the middle of next week or whatever. So... I have no idea if he ever laid eyes on this cover, but I would like to think that he would just love the idea of somebody getting smacked so hard that they could fly 200 years backward in time. I think he would be a big fan of that idea. Now, what's really funny is... Well, you know what? I'm going to save that for, uh, for when we get into the issue proper because as awesome awesome as this cover is and that idea of bam and being knocked back in time like that it's uh in typical comic book style it it ain't quite true so all right so we're gonna go ahead and dig into this one beautiful beautiful opening splash again uh, a second cover of sorts this one is an awesome picture by the way the credits on this one story by carrie bates art beautiful art by Kurt Swan and Tex I never know how to pronounce this guy's name it's either Blydell or Blaisdell I'm guessing last name is spelled B-L-A-I-S-D-E-L-L Blaisdell Blaisdell I don't know if somebody knows for sure write me and let me know Uh, edited of course by Julie Schwartz this cover or excuse me this opening splash rather is awesome it's i'm pretty sure that this is a recreation of a famous painting and it's our forefathers gathered around uh, a table at independence hall john hancock is holding the uh, declaration of independence and he's uh, surrounded by you know the forefathers and it looks like they're either about to sign or they have just signed but standing off to the side is Superman. He's got his arms folded over his chest. He's looking on proudly. And 
the copy here reads, Witness readers, one of the most famous scenes in the annals of American history, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But wait, something's wrong with this picture. Superman had nothing to do with this historic document. Or did he? You're about to find out if the Man of Steel was there with the Founding Fathers in spirit or in the flesh, or both, as he concludes a battle with a foe so formidable, the only way it can end is to die now, live later. So we start off with a tight close-up of a very famous face. Since you're looking at the face of reporter Clark Kent, familiar to millions of Metropolis citizens for his nightly newscasts on WGBS-TV. Yes, of course, this was during the era where uh, Clark Kent had gone from being a newspaperman to being essentially, um, you know, Dan Rather. This is right now, he's getting his next assignment from his boss part of any reporter's usual routine. But today, the routine is anything but usual because today is July 4th, 1776. And instead of GBS President Morgan Edge, Clark's boss is none other than Benjamin Franklin, editor of the Pennsylvania Gazette. And this starts off awesome. And right from that tight close-up, you can tell something's different because Clark's glasses are very different. They're in a, uh, a squarish, rectangular shape. Um, think, uh, think Captain Kirk's, uh, or actually Admiral Kirk's uh, birthday gift glasses he wears in Star Trek II. A little bit bigger than that, but it's essentially, that, that's the style that you've got. The second panel on the page is um, panning backward, you know, going backwards from the close-up and showing a little bit more of his face, and we can see that his hair is uh, is pulled back, actually tied back into a ponytail, uh, you know, the style of the period type of thing. And then the third panel, of course, is him actually speaking to his boss, uh, Benjamin Franklin, and we can see that he's dressed in period clothes, the same as Franklin. And Franklin gives him his assignment which is he wants him to go over to Independence Hall and he wants Clark to chronicle the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So Clark heads out and uh, we get a great, great, great street scene. Uh, I just love this. It's beautifully, beautifully illustrated of um, you know the streets of, of Philadelphia uh, uh, peopled with you know all these folks in, uh, in period dress, men, women, and children. It's just a really nice piece of art. So Clark's walking along. He's headed to Independence Hall when who should he chance across but uh, John Hancock. Now, John Hancock, there's a, a little note here in case you don't know this. And if you don't know this, I think you should just hand in your American card and, and just get out of my country right now. But John Hancock, of course, you know, he's the one whose signature is first and foremost on the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's, it's the huge one on there. So he runs across uh, John Hancock, and they're walking side by side, and they're having a little chat. Suddenly, nearby, these uh, horses get spooked, and they take off through the streets, and they're, they're dragging behind them um, a, uh, well, I was going to say an empty buckboard, but it's not really empty. There's stuff on it, but there's no people. There's nobody to stop them. The, the horses are runaways. Clark, suddenly, uh, seeing this going on, takes off essentially at super speed. And it's great because uh, 
John Hancock. By the way, there's no mention of his brother Herbie in this issue, which which kind of bothered me. Um, John Hancock thinks to himself, Jehoshaphat, he says, never have I seen a man move that fast. And there's a great little panel at the bottom of the page where Clark actually tackles, essentially, one of the horses, grabs him right around the neck, and he's hanging on. Very next panel, or excuse me, well, it is the next panel. It's the next page, top of the next page. He's still got the horse around the neck and literally slamming it to the ground, stopping these runaway horses. Now, this looks painful for the poor horse. I mean, this looks like there there might... There is a... Um, uh, a sound effect there of one of the horses making a, a horse sound, which I'm not even going to try to emulate, but it could just as easily say crack because it it looks like Clark is is putting this uh, horse run away to us to a halt by by bringing the horse down, not just pulling it down, but like snapping its neck. It's pretty violent action, really. And of course, the people are amazed. The people are looking at this. One of them says, that man must have the strength of ten oxen. And another man says, what a display of raw courage. And Clark is amazed at himself. Hancock comments that, uh, wow, you know, you." Uh, he says, you toppled these horses uh, as if they were newborn colts. If General Washington saw that demonstration, he'd want a man like you leading his troops into battle. And Clark is at a loss for an explanation. But then, of course, uh, Hancock looks down and sees that there are uh, puddles all over the street and assumes that Clark just happened to get lucky and grabbed the horses in such a way that uh, their hooves slipped in the, uh, in the wetness, in the mud, and that's how he was able to bring it down. But after they bid farewell and Clark's wandering away... He has a little bit of doubt about this. He says, uh, "He says, and yet, it seemed to me that I really knocked those horses over without even straining. But that would take super strength. At this point, we've been intrigued enough to where the writer wants to play with us a little bit. And he says, okay, reader, let's try putting your mounting questions in the proper order. What is Superman doing in 1776 during the American Revolution, a full 200 years out of his own time period? Why has he adopted his Clark Kent identity, or excuse me, adapted rather, his Clark Kent identity to colonial life, to work as a reporter for Benjamin Franklin? And most baffling of all, how could Clark have possibly forgotten he's really Superman? And then you turn the page, and the writer begs for our patience that all will be revealed. So Clark, he's still headed to Independence Hall. I don't have any idea how, how far away this place is from his place of business. I'm assuming he's walking across the city, essentially. He decides to uh, take a little shortcut, and that brings him around the corner to uh, some unsavory types that just so happen to be uh, up to no good. They're making plans and now they fear that uh, Clark is a rebel spy who has overheard their plans, and they're going to do him in. So while one of the guys holds him, the other one takes a swing at him and essentially breaks his hand. While he's still being held, another, there's three of the guys, the, another one of the guys takes a shot at his stomach, and he kicks uh, Clark you know, square in the gut, and all he, 
manages to accomplish is that he broke his toe. So then the guy that was holding Clark lets go of him. He picks up a solid brass lamp base, and he's intent on just bashing Clark's brains in with it. He takes a swing, but uh, Clark is able to just grab a hold of the thing before it actually hits him. And when it does, uh, Clark actually crushes it. The guy says he crushes it like taffy. Clark catches a glimpse of himself in a broken mirror that's laying nearby. This uh, this scene is kind of like a like a junkyard or, or behind a, a building where uh, where the garbage is being kept. And he sees himself, but his reflection is a reversed reflection of himself as Superman. And Clark is thinking to himself that his eyes are playing tricks, or that the we- the mirror is bewitched because he's seeing himself in this strange garb. And the guys that he was up against, they, they run off in a panic. They're, uh, they're frightened of, of all this. And Clark's kind of standing around trying to figure the whole thing out and uh, doesn't understand the costume, thinks that maybe he's bewitched or having delusions. At this point, we are taken out of 1776 and given a little bit of an explanation of what the heck is going on here. So... This story actually started several issues ago, three or four, as I recall, and it basically comes down to this dude, Carbrack. He's an alien from the Andromeda Galaxy. On his own planet, he was having problems. He was getting sick, he was having fevers, he was dying, and it turns out he's allergic to his own people. So... He did the sensible thing. He came to live on Earth. He actually was holding down a job and and the whole nine yards and and posing as an Earthman. And with the presence of Superman in the city, somehow Superman and Carbrack, their their physiology is close enough that Superman might as well be of the same species because he was likewise making Carbrack sick uh, causing him to run this basically a, a super fever that could even burn Superman and essentially was killing Carbrack. So Carbrack, uh, at first he fought with Superman and then he, he tried to resort to begging Superman to leave the planet so that he could live there in peace and that he wouldn't die. And of course, he and Superman are <laughs> at odds about this whole thing and they ended up tussling. Now, Here's the thing. I had, I believe, all the issues of this particular story. I think I gathered them out of order over the years. So I don't think until I sat down to do this issue's coverage for this episode, I don't think I'd ever read these issues in sequence. Well, it turned out that the issue before this, 462, I'd never read. I I don't even have that particular issue. And it disturbed me greatly that despite the awesome cover that's on this issue and the uh, the first panel at the top of... Ah, these pages aren't numbered. It makes me crazy. But there's a panel at the top of uh, the next page that shows Carbrack not so much hitting Superman as basically giving him a good whack on the back. You know, like, like Superman was choking on a bone or something and then the guy's just trying to help him out. <laughs> He's giving him like a super pat on the back that's knocking Superman for a loop. Between those two images, 
I was left with the impression that Carbrack, like the cover said, had literally knocked the daylights out of Superman and sent him back to 1776. It turns out, and this bugs me so much after, well, let's see, 76... I'm not going to do the math, but I mean, it's a long time. It bugs me a lot to learn that after all these years, that's not really the case. That's not how it happened, is that Carbrack was dying. He was literally losing uh, molecular cohesion, starting to fade fast. He was menacing Superman, and took off flying away at super speed. Superman pursued him, and somehow Carbrack tricked Superman into spinning and vibrating and all this stuff during the chase and essentially tricked Superman into sending himself back in time. He essentially tricked Superman into time warping himself. Once there, Carbrack has this machine. Let's see if it says what the name of this machine is. The Psy Machine, of course. P-S-I. Psy Machine. And he uses this thing to basically mess with people's brains he's been doing it to earth people already and now he's using it on superman so even though superman is in the past this machine is so awesome that carbrack can use it on superman in the past to both make him lose his memory and implant new memories but also he's using it on his fellow philadelphians so that they don't see him as Superman, they see him as Colonial Times Clark Kent. So that's where we are in this story. That's what's going on. So, Clark, he's still on his way to Independence Hall. And he's walking along, and he sees this pretty girl, and she drops a package. And so, of course, being a gentleman, he runs over, and he's helping her pick up her package. And uh, she says, very kind of you to help me, sir. He says, no offense intended, miss. Or she says, uh, I'm sorry, she says, very kind of you to help me, sir, but why do you stare at me so? And he says, no uh, offense attended, miss. He says, it's just that you have such a photogenic face. She says, photogenic? Uh, I truly hope your la- uh, manner is not as foreign as your language. And then he's thinking to himself after she walks away, photogenic. Now, why did that curious word pop into my head? I don't even know what it means. Or do I? Somehow, it sounds familiar. Now, I love the next panel. It's Clark, again, Colonial Times Clark, with his square glasses and his, his colonial hat. And he says, EGAD! Which is something I just, I, you don't think of Superman saying. And he says, EGAD! He says, now my eyes are playing tricks on me. Most incredible tricks indeed. Because I am staring at the Declaration of Independence inside the hall. But this is utterly impossible. Nobody can see through walls. Somehow or other, Superman's x-ray vision has kicked in, and he's looking through Independence Hall, and he zooms in, and he can actually see the three scalawags from earlier in the issue, the ones that uh, he had the little alley fight with. They have uh, dug a tunnel and broken into Independence Hall. And... Clark is equally amazed that not only can he see these guys, he can actually hear what they're saying with his super hearing. And he knows that they're up to no good. He knows how important it is for the Declaration of Independence to be signed. He susses out that they are Tory spies and that this is a job for Sir... Sir... 
it's, uh... He says, well, that's odd. For an instant there, I thought I had a plan of action. Now, I would have loved it if he'd have thought it was a plan for Sussudio. That would have been pretty cool, too, I guess. But anyway, a little before before that time. (laughs) Anyway, so he's running down the street, and he's thinking uh, that he's drawn a blank, that there was something he wanted to do, but now he doesn't know what. And he's like, well, what was I even thinking? I'm just one man. He stops at the, uh, the sidewalk's edge and suddenly catches his reflection in a puddle. But it's Superman's reflection. And he even says that. He says, great Krypton in that puddle. Superman's reflection. Wait a minute. It's coming back to me now. And in the next panel, he stands fully revealed. He says, I am Superman. Superman from the year 1976. And the people behind him are freaking out. And they go, by all that's holy, that man's garb, it changed before our very eyes. And then there is a beautiful, I mean, this is quintessential Kurt Swan here, beautiful uh, panel, rather, of Superman. His fists clenched and out in front of him, flying, kind of like charging up into the air. And again, the the colonials behind him are all gasping and and just kind of freaking out. And one of them says, now he's taking off into the air. And a woman says, flying like a bird. (laughs) And the last guy, instead of saying, "It's it's a plane, he says, witchcraft. That's what it is. <laughs> so, turn a couple of pages. Superman, again, quintessential Kurt uh, Swan here with the, with the speed lines and the after images of Superman. He's zipping so fast. Now, his memory has completely come back to him at this point. He says, everything is clear now. Carbrack sent me back in time after he used his psi machine to erase my memory of being Superman. Then he programmed me and everyone else here to believe I was a reporter who lived in 1776. I've been wearing my Superman costume all along, which means my colonial outfit was only a hypnotic illusion projected by the Psy Machine, an illusion which vanished when I regained my memory. Well, thank you, Superman. I kind of figured that all out for myself, but it's nice to uh, have it reaffirmed. Now, something I always think is really cool, that you don't really see a whole lot in comics, or at least when you do see it, they don't ever really, I think, linger on it to to really express, hey, this is kind of a neat idea, is super characters, flying characters, especially Superman, flying indoors. I know that's kind of a silly thing to say, but I always kind of like that concept. You know, there's that great video a number of years ago with, uh, with Christopher Walken where he's dancing through that song. Then all of a sudden, at one point in the song, he, like, jumps over... Uh, he's in like a it's like a hotel or a mall or something like that, and he just jumps off of one of the floors all of a sudden on impulse, and then he's flying. He just flies around inside this this again. I don't know if it's a a, a hotel or a mall or what it is, but he's just zipping all over the place flying, and I'm like, that's really cool. I mean, who hasn't had that dream or that fantasy? of not only being able to fly, but I know I've had a lot of dreams where I'm flying, but I'm inside. I'm in like, a, well, I used to have them in school. You know, you'd be flying through the school or flying through the mall or something like that. Well, there's a panel here. It's just one little panel where Superman actually flies into Independence Hall and he's flying through an open doorway. And I don't know why I like this so much, but I do. It's just an interesting thought of, you know, typically what Superman would do would, you know, he'd come crashing through the wall, you know? I mean, 
you know, there's there's a door and there's windows. <laughs> Usually Superman comes busting through the wall. In this case, I don't know where he busts in through. It doesn't really ever show that. But the next panel after him flying to Independence Hall is him inside Independence Hall flying through an open doorway. I just think that's cool. There's something about that uh, that really appeals to me. So he flies down into the basement. He sees the tunnel that the uh, the spies had dug, flies down into the tunnel. The guys, they've actually absconded with the Declaration of Independence at this point. They look back. They see Superman coming along the tunnel behind them. They open up with their guns. And, of course, the bullets just harmlessly bounce off Superman. This next part's really cool. He actually gets clever. He uses his super breath and essentially, kind of like a geyser, blows these guys up out of the uh, tunnel at the original end where they had dug the tunnel from. They just come flying up out of it, suspended by uh, Superman's super breath. Superman scoops them up, or essentially what he does is uh, he blasts them out of the hole, he snatches up the declaration, then he uses a super breath to put them up into the air, but then the panel after that is him flying with them essentially being dragged in his wake, which is a neat idea. I don't recall seeing that before. And he flies to uh, an unnamed battlefield and unceremoniously just dumps these guys right at the feet of General George Washington, which is pretty cool. Then Superman, again, another great panel of him just flying. He's holding the the declaration in one hand, which does beg the question why it doesn't burn up with heat friction. Uh, Who knows? He flies along, and we see... At that moment, many miles away, 56 distinguished men are filing into Independence Hall for an event that will lay the foundation for the greatest nation of Earth. So he better hurry up because they're about to come in. And we see the uh, Founding Fathers entering the hallowed hall. And once again, a blurred figure whizzes by too fast to be seen, but not too fast to return the about-to-be-signed Declaration of Independence to its rightful place without a second to spare. The vote is taken, the the declaration is adopted, and John Hancock steps up to adorn the fateful document with his flamboyant signature on this 4th of July, 1776. And it's just, it's, oh, I love this page. It's, it's, I mean, because you've got, you've got all the greats here. I mean, it's, it just, it reads like a who's who of the time. It's all, you got, you know, you got John Hancock, of course, John Adams, uh, Samuel Adams, Benjamin Harrison, Ben Franklin, Aretha Franklin, uh, George Jefferson, um, Neil Armstrong, Charles Lindbergh, um, Moff, Jer Gerard, and um, um, Mr. Potato Trooper. So Superman um, he accelerates beyond the speed of light, and he breaks through the time barrier. And again, awesome, awesome panel here of him streaking through the sky. It's a very different kind of um, pose for Superman. This is more of a leaping tall buildings type of pose. He's actually leaping over the skyline. And, of course, there's the famous phrase underneath him, look up in the sky. And instead of the it's a bird, it's a plane, we just get look up in the sky, and then the next one just simply says, the name of the show, it's Superman. he says, ah... It feels great to be a legend in my own time again. So, he goes streaking about. 
he's not real happy. He's going to head back to the fortress and see if he can find a solution for this Carbrack problem. In the meantime, Carbrack, he's zipping about. He overhears some citizens talking about Superman being back, and he gets furious. And about the time he gets furious, he also gets feverish, and he knows it's true. Superman is back. He starts to burn up with his fever. He looks behind him as he's flying, and he actually sees Superman closing in on him. And Superman, he uh, he's practicing some tough love here. He says, uh, this running battle between us has been going on long enough. It's time I put you out of your misery. Which is uh, tough talk for Superman. Superman actually touches Carbrack, which causes him pain. He says, ah, he says, you touched me. The touch of death. And one of the things I really like in this this story, one of the things I really like about Carbrack, despite his incredibly goofy look, he's stronger than Superman. I like that. Superman doesn't have a whole lot of guys that stand on his power level, and he has even fewer that stand above his power level. So I like it when he has fights with guys that are actually tougher than he is. So they're flying kind of side by side. Superman's just slightly behind Carbrack. Carbrack actually reaches behind him, grabs Superman by the hair of the head, flips him around, and then boots him square in the underpants. And this is a great panel. I mean, it, Superman's hurt. I mean, he's being kicked right in the tailbone. That can't be pleasant. It's a really nice piece of art. They smash through a water tower, which I can I never get tired of that. I love it when super people smash through uh, water towers and buildings and stuff. And Carbrack just generally mops the floor with Superman. He pounds him through a building. He smashes him into the floor. He is just intent on taking Superman out. Unfortunately, his disease or whatever this condition of his is runs its course and he literally drops dead. That's it. Carbrack's gone. Superman scoops him up. Actually, he doesn't so much scoop him up as he grabs him by his belt, which, I mean, he's dead. I guess it doesn't hurt, but still, it's not a very dignified way to fly around. He picks him up by his belt, flies him back to his fortress of solitude. Now, much like last time, this is the only part of this story I don't, I'm not really down with. For some reason... So Superman flies him back to the fortress, using his super science, brings him back to life. And since the disease ran its course, and he died, Superman revives him, now he's cured? And Superman uses the psi machine on him to erase his identity... Which, alright, I don't really have as much an issue with that as I do that he's alive again and now he's not going to die. I don't... I, I'm lost there. But anyway, he uses the Psy Machine and restores his human persona. Now again, this is a little bit of a gaffe in the narrative here. I went back and checked to make sure I was right about this, and I was. There's no way that Superman could know the human identity that Carbrack had adopted. He actually had an, adopted a, a, an identity and a name, and the name he had chosen for himself was uh, Andro 
Andrew Meta, or Meta, which of course was a takeoff on Andromeda, which is the galaxy he was from. So it's Andrew Meta. And that was the name that he was using. I don't know how in the world Superman could possibly know that. Now, he could know the look of the guy because they'd actually, if you go all the way back to the beginning of this story, um, and, and I'm sorry, at the moment I don't have the issue in front of me which one it was. It's 460 or 461, I believe. This whole story started where Carbrack was living his life, living in his human identity, you know, living amongst us just simply for survival because he couldn't live with his own people. When Clark Kent just happened aboard the same bus that he was riding to work and that's when his fever and everything kicked in and that's what started this whole thing this whole fight with superman so clark did get a look at the guy while he was human and this was a period where superman did have um you know super memory and total recall and all that sort of thing so it's conceivable that he knew what image to give Carbrack, you know, to have him adopt. But there's, I don't, I can't think of a no prize for how he would know the actual name of that human identity that Carbrack had adopted. That seems like a big old plot hole to me. Or maybe not such a big old plot hole. The bigger plot hole, honestly, is the whole thing that, okay, so the disease ran its course, now I can bring him back to life and he'll be okay. Does that follow? I don't, I don't get that. If somebody dies of cancer and they die on the operating table or whatever, and then you manage to revive them, um, aren't they still going to die of cancer? I, I'm, I don't think you're cured. I could be wrong. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. So I don't know, but he is using super science. So, you know, I'm going to just let it go. But that's it for this one. That uh, that does wrap up the uh, saga. Carbrack, sadly, um, to my knowledge anyway, was only ever used one other time uh, past this. And with apologies to the artist, I don't dig that story. Because the uh, the art's just not there for me. It's um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name and I'm completely blanking on it. Cooperberg, I think? Or Schaffenberger. It's Kurt Schaffenberger, that's it. I like his art, but only for particular kinds of stories. And this particular villain, I think, is is much better suited to a story like this, where the fisticuffs with Superman, you can feel it. I mean, there, there's some serious battling going on here. Schaffenberger, much more a cartoony um, art style and his car brack is just plain ridiculous looking. He he looks like Superman. He looks like Superman's fighting is super powered and uh, and uh, deranged like Bozo the Clown or something. Because I mean, Carbrack's look is not far off from a clown to begin with, with the red hair and the white face and all that. He's re- really crazy looking. Um, so you know, you take that and, and add a cartoony style, and he just becomes ridiculous. And sadly, that's that's how he was portrayed in the uh, in the other story. I'm aware of him being in, but I like this guy, and uh, I think he had great potential to be um, a, a bigger, badder, and uh, and more frequent 
nemesis for Superman, and uh, it's a shame he wasn't really utilized that way. I have no idea off the top of my head if he ever came back in the post-crisis continuity. I'll have to ask my my buddy Mike Bailey about that. He might know. Um, I should know that, and I cannot recall off the top of my head. If he was, I don't think he was uh, a big deal, because I know that they did bring back, like... Um, Oh, what was Superman's buddy there that was a take on the old Sean Connery movie? Vartok? Yeah, Vartok. I know he came back post-Crisis, but again, it was just, really, it was a cameo more than anything. It was like a, hey, for those that you, you know, for those of you that know, here here's Vartok. Yeah, isn't he cool? And okay, well, off with him. So if they did that with Carbrack, I can't remember. But that's the story proper. Uh, like I say, I dig this one. I think this one's a heck of a lot of fun, even though it was a little bit of a bummer to find out that Superman didn't really get knocked back in time the way I thought he did. But for all intents and purposes, this really, I mean, with the flashback sequences and everything, you can take this as a standalone story, which I did for you know many, many, many years. I, I was never privy to the... Uh, three or four issues that led up to this one. So I always kind of took this as a one-off story and taking it that way. I, I think it's more enjoyable fantasizing that that is how it happened, that, that Superman literally got belted back in time. Oh, let's see what else have we got on this one here. Did I miss anything? Um, no. All right. So we're going to look at ads real quick here. Let's see what we've got for ads. I, I seem to recall there were some doozies in here. Uh, your, your standard daisy. Oh, there's a Rolling Stones uh, black and blue on Rolling Stones records and tapes ad in here. Kind of creepy. Got your Revolutionary War. So, ah, here we go. You've got the Limited Collector's Edition. This one actually advertises two of them. And uh, I have both of these. Have not cracked them open in probably a decade or better. But uh, they're both awesome. You've got one here, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Now, this is the one, because there's at least two of these. This is the one where it's Superboy. It's kind of flying at us, the reader, and then flying out around him are the other Legionnaires. So you've got Cosmic Boy wearing his uh, very uncomfortable out the uh, literally a bustier. Yeah. And that a visual for you. <laughs> Carrying the Legion flag. It's a very, very nice Mike Grell cover. Recently, and I don't know that I've actually shouted this out on a podcast yet, so I'll do it right now. My buddy J. David Weeder sent me the other Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes um, oversized. And that one I don't think is a limited collector's edition. That one I think is an all-new, I think. But anyway, it's one of these giant-size uh, collector's edition books. I have wanted that thing all my life. And uh, he had just seen that I posted something about it and actually sent me a copy of it. And I was just blown away by that. That is so awesome. And, uh, oh, my God, is it beautiful, beautiful. It's uh, it's Mike Grell. And, I mean, Mike Grell is just a god anyway when it comes to comic art but his superboy is just fantastic uh i love his superboy stuff so that is just a dream come true you know superboy by grell in the massive oversized format it's just oh it's just gorgeous the other one advertised here is uh 
the greatest uh, race of all time, Superman versus the Flash, which I think everything in there is reprints. I don't think there's any original material in there, but I love that one. It's got a gorgeous cover on it, which I think it's Garcia Lopez, just off the top of my head. But it's Superman and the Flash racing, and then you know, um, you know they're surrounded by their friends. Some of them cheering for Superman, some of them cheering for the Flash. It's uh, a recreation of of sorts of the cover to Superman. I think it's issue one ninety nine. I think I should remember that because I actually have it autographed. But it's in that era anyway. But a really really nice book. Let's see what else. Oh, on the page. Um, the next page after that, there's another advertisement. This one is awesome. This one advertises the DC TV series. This was an awesome, awesome time to be a DC fan for television because you had... Well, they're advertising four shows here, uh, three of which I will agree it was an awesome time to be a DC fan. The fourth one, eh, not so much. But you've got Shazam, which was an awesome awesome show. Now, Mike Bailey was just telling me that that's actually available finally on DVD, but it's one of those deals where it's, um, it's, uh, what do you call it, burned to order, or, you know, where, where you order it, and then they actually burn it for you, create it for you. Um, there's a term for that that I'm blanking on at the moment, but if that is true, I've got to get that, because I've had it on videotape for years, but it's like a billionth generation bootleg, so it's really super crappy, but I love that show, and I was very pleasantly surprised that unlike most of my fond childhood memories of movies and TV shows from when I was a kid, that one actually holds up. I think the Shazam show still holds up. you got to put yourself in a certain mind frame to watch it, but it, I think it holds up. I think it's fantastic, and just just seeing Captain Marvel on the screen doing his thing is just, just fantastic. I love Captain Marvel. The other one advertised here is, uh, of course, the companion show to Shazam, which was called Isis. And uh, that was a good show, too. I enjoyed that a lot. And uh, Isis, the actress, I I'm, can't remember what her name is off the top of my head, but she was one of the earliest crushes I ever had. I, I had a, I had the hot... Uh, Andrea Thomas. Or no, that was the... That was her secret identity, Andrea Thomas. I can't remember what the actress's name was. Something Cassidy, I think. Anyway, uh, she was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to skip the third one listed here for just a moment. I'll get back to that one. The last one listed here, of course, the Super Friends. Super Friends. I mean, for my generation, I think the Super Friends are more than likely where most of us learned about these guys. You know, Superman, Batman, the whole nine yards. I always have trouble remembering exactly what my first exposure to Superman was, but it was likely Super Friends. And, uh, God, I love that. And, again, for I think I've mentioned him like 50 times in this episode already, but my buddy Mike Bailey, we, uh, we were talking recently about uh, maybe doing a show or some shows together, talking about some Super Friends. He had messaged me not long ago, asking me if I was aware that there was an episode of the Super Friends with the Titanic in it. I don't remember that. So he uh, he whet my appetite for that, but there's a number of episodes that I haven't seen in a long time that I'd love to go back and uh, and watch again and, and talk about in a podcast. But the one, probably my favorite episode, is the one where Superman winds up in the universe 
where he's the only good person and the rest of the Justice League is all evil. But he actually switches places with the Superman from that universe who is evil. So that evil Superman winds up in our universe fighting the good Justice League, whereas our Superman winds up in the bad universe fighting the evil Justice League. And and I love that episode. That one's it's a blast. That is an absolutely awesome episode. So yeah, I'd like to talk about that sometime. So if you're listening, Mike, I'm down for that, buddy. Uh, the other advertisement, the one I skipped over here, the one that I'm like, eh, not so much. Welcome back, Cotter. Huh? Really? Now, maybe I shouldn't judge. I never watched an episode of Welcome Back, Cotter, because it just looked annoying to me. But uh, they did have a DC comic back during this time, so I guess that's how they earned the uh, the mention on this DC TV page. Let's see what else we got here. I know there was at least one other ad I wanted to talk about. Oh, there's a couple, actually. We've got uh, an advertisement here for issue number 12 of The Amazing World of DC Comics. I love this magazine. They are getting really hard to find. I do not have anywhere near a complete collection, and I don't think I have this one. But this is uh, the... uh, It says here, You loved our Legion issue? Uh, So now here's number 12, Science Fiction spectacular and i like this ad because it has an interview with mike grell so of course the figures that are here are mike grell figures and it's um mike grell's green lantern side by side with mike grell's superboy and i love the pose that superboy is striking here because it's a very dracula-esque pose which is you know it's unusual for superman or superboy to to be making kind of a kind of a sinister pose but uh he is. He's he's making kind of a claw-handed uh, pose, and it's just it's neat. I really like this. But again, I'm I'm a sucker for Mike Grell's Superboy. Uh, across from that, I skipped. There was a um, one of those Justice for All includes children's ad. This is the famous one of Superman witnessing a boy climbing into a uh, a car, hitchhiking, and be, being picked up, and then it turns out that uh, the car was stolen, and the kid almost gets in trouble if it wasn't for Superman vouching for him. If you know the ad, then you know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's a great... Just the Neil Adams art in that is fantastic. He did a number of those uh, Justice for All uh, public service announcements, and they're all gorgeous. Uh, Advertisement here for a bunch of comics in packs that you can order. Uh, First edition sale, and it's just interesting, some of the books they're hawking in this thing, because they're packs of four, and they're $4 and some change, and it's... A weird assortment. It's like one pack is like the Shadow number one, the Demon number one, Super Team Family number one, and Stalker number one. It's different combinations, but just some of the books that are featured here are very interesting. Some of them worth a lot, some of them worth nothing today. It just depends on the combination that you get. But right in the center of the page, there's an advertisement for Secret Origins of the Super DC Heroes. And I know that Mike Bailey and I have talked about this book many, many, many times. I love that book and uh, was so happy a couple years ago when I was finally able to put a copy of it in my own collection. Cause, and I I rented that thing out from the school library so many times when I was a kid, I was surprised that they didn't just give it to me after a while because it was never there. I always had it. But uh, just a fantastic book. Let's see. I know there was one other. Oh, there it is. It's on the back cover. An advertisement 
for the green machine. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't know how I can describe it to you. It uh, it's essentially it's a big wheel, but it's the awesome version of a big wheel. It, instead of steering in the front with the handlebars, this one actually had levers. So your your right and your left hand would would hold onto these levers. And if you pushed them in a certain way, a certain combination, it would steer the back tires instead of your big wheel in the front. So you still had a giant wheel in the front, and that's what you pedaled to make yourself go, but it steered in the back, and you were in a much more like reclined position in this thing. Man, I loved my green machine. <laughs> I thought that thing was awesome, and if they made them in, in my size today, I might still own one and go out and pedal it around because I thought those things were awesome. I was the envy of the playground in my green machine. Well, that is actually, that's about it for this episode. We're right at the hour mark, so I think I've done uh, done pretty good for myself. But I want to tease you for next time. Um, I need you to gear up for something because uh, coming along, I'm not sure how many episodes it'll be, maybe just one or two, but eventually... Something, right when I dreamed this show up, something that I knew that I wanted to talk about was one of my all-time favorites. I've long called this one of my favorite Superman stories. What's funny about it, Superman isn't in it a whole lot. But it's called The Phantom Zone. It was a four-issue miniseries back in the 80s, right around the time that Superman 2 was out. So when was this? 81, 82, somewhere in that area. Uh, It was a four-issue miniseries where the essential premise of it is that all of the Phantom Zone villains get out and are loose on Earth to raise all kinds of holy hell while Superman is actually trapped in the zone. Great, great series. One of my all-time favorites. So I will be covering that. The reason I mention it right now is if you go to our site, twotruefreaks.com, follow the Amazon link on that page, it'll take you to Amazon and look for... It's called Superman Phantom Zone. It's a graphic novel, uh, trade paperback. It's going to be coming out July 23rd. If you order it right now, you get free shipping on it on orders over $25. The cost is only $11.44. This is a book that's going to retail about 15 bucks when it actually hits. But if you order it right now, you save a few bucks off of it. Plus, you help out Two True Freaks if you follow that link. That's always a good thing. We appreciate that. But uh, the reason I mention that, it's coming along in the very, very near future. For next time, however, next episode, I'm going to be looking back in time to a tale from... I forget what year it's from. It originally comes from Superman number 157. Now, I don't actually have a copy of Superman number 157, so I will be reading this from a reprint of the story. But if you have that issue or a reprint of it yourself, you can follow along. It's a story called The Super Revenge of the Phantom Zone Prisoner. Excellent story. Leads directly into the Phantom Zone miniseries, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So I think that's it for this time around. Again, please, 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 if you can spare a moment right into the show, let me know what you think. Uh, How am I doing? How can I do it better? Uh, What kind of things do you want me to cover in the future? That sort of thing. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. I appreciate all the uh, encouragement, feedback, all that sort of thing, and I need more of it. So, until next time, I will talk to you then.
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie.